0: The following audio drama is rated PG for Pretty Good. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts, and a couple of swears. Parents should be ready to cover their ears.
1: This is a production. entertainment is always free. Audio productions presents
0: Doctor Who
2: Hi, this is Paul Mannering, writer of the season four Broken Sea Doctor Who. Hi, this is Stevie. Um Stevie kerr Farnaby, Erkia
1: Skiffle, producer of Broken Seeds Doctor Who.
0: And last but not least, Mark Kalita, Broken Seeds' very own Doctor.
2: So guys, today we're going to talk about the first four episodes of the new Doctor Who series, and hopefully make it spoiler-free. Perhaps I could start then by just giving a brief uh, introduction as to what the uh, first episode was about. That was Veracocca. Uh, released last year. Um, We had a lot of earthquakes and things down this way, which have um, been one of the contributing factors to the delay in actually producing the entire series. Obviously, Stevie had a lot going on as well. So in the first episode, we were introduced to uh, Incan culture with the Doctor and Amanda arriving uh, in the days of the Incan Empire. And there was a legend about a godlike figure uh, called Viracoca, who was a white skinned, white haired man who taught the Incans a lot of their technology. So, of course, that's a perfect idea for a, you know, time travel story um, or aliens. So, we went with that and produced quite an interesting result. Um, we're doing something a bit different with this season in that we're having an ongoing theme. There's like a, a meta plot for the entire season. And Viracoca was just the first episode that laid out some of the information and started putting you know the pieces on the table, which will, of course, um, become more obvious as we go.
1: As Paul said, I, I did indeed have a number of things going on um, last year, um, partly to do with the fact that I nearly lost my dad last year, um, who's actually doing much better now, by the way. He's, um, he's kind of... Um, he's, he's shown some... Serious signs of improvement Is almost back to full health Now as well um, But there's a lot of health issues And me sort of looking after my parents And such like um, So yeah um, And that, that was another one of our reasons For the delay in putting some of the episodes out um, Vera Coker I absolutely adored the opening scene On, on that show um, where, where we've got a newly regenerated doctor And the whole thing kicks off uh, with Amanda walking down a TARDIS corridor, and she's approaching the the costume room where the Doctor's picking out new outfits. <laughs> and as she's getting closer, you're hearing a Queen song playing in the background. <laughs> I'm going slightly mad, which I thought was a absolutely perfect sort of uh, choice of song to sort of sit within that scene. And um, there were some other great sort of moments as well with uh, uh, Amanda sort of talking about. Uh, music and she's sort of saying is you know, she's looking at a poster of Freddie Mercury. Is that a guy or is it Liza Manelli? Which <laughs> <I think she's laughs> just it had me absolutely howling when I put that
0: scene together. <laughs> well it's it's a little known fact that the original Viracoca script that Paul <laughs> wrote didn't actually have that scene. I I'm guilty of that opening scene. Yep, And um, the reason behind that is because for those who have listened to the show previously, uh, when we had Quorum of Time, uh, effectively, in a way, the Doctor has more or less regenerated, albeit into uh, the same guy. Mm-hmm. And I figured that after dealing with that, they'd, he'd probably have the typical post-regenerative shock that usually happens after one of those. And I thought it would be kind of fun to start the new season off by uh by having a doctor that's a little little out of it. And of course, usually when when you have a new doctor, you uh you have that element. You have the element of the doctor trying to choose what his outfit is going to be. And uh I, I thought it would be kind of fun to, to play around with those those traditional concepts. Um of course, there's the fact that uh, I'm a very huge Queen fan, and I love the I'm Going Slightly Mad video. And uh, I thought, well, wouldn't it be kind of a hoot to uh, to integrate Queen into the show, and uh, especially that particular strange character that uh, Freddie Mercury played in it. So that's, that's kind of how that came about.
1: And also the... Um the sort of story that the doctor relates regarding, you know, Queen and the Sex Pistols being in the same studio as well was actually a true story <laughs> as well. Uh-huh. Um, so exactly. That was, yeah. exactly. And that, that, that was kind of nice to sort of fit that into the episode because it seemed to slot in there just
0: perfectly, you know. I I mean, it's I one of those, those what if kind of things. And, you know, I could, I could see it in my mind too over at the recording studio and like, the mm-hmm. fourth doctor is sitting there, picturing him with his his feet kicked up on the recording console, watching this. And Sid <laughs> Vicious walks in, sees Freddie, and they have their little banter in that. And uh, that's one of the things I like to do whenever I write scripts or contribute to scripts, if the uh, opportunity presents itself, mm-hmm. to literally put in something that really actually happened in history. I, I think that. That helps flesh it out and and really connects the fantasy world with the real world. That's one of the one of the reasons I like working on uh, Jake Sampson Monster Hunter. We do that quite a bit. Yep. of course, and um, it it also
1: applies to modeling as well. Um, uh-huh. Basically, there's a lot of historical elements on the show, and that helps to build up the believability of the the sort of fantasy type elements. You know, or in Doctor Who's case, the sci-fi elements. Anyway, I mean, again, one of the uh, one of the other fun sort of little moments uh, in this episode um, is when the TARDIS is going haywire. <laughs> this explosion's going off, and I think at one point Amanda shouts, "Well, at least the gauge isn't spinning." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at which point you hear it spin off. And I I sort of made that sort of pan around the speakers a little bit, you know, (laughs) to sort of give it the impression that this thing is actually rotating around, and then it spins on. There's a bit flies off. (laughs) That was kind of a little fun bit to do. Again, one of the things that I've really enjoyed um, on the four episodes of this season is the locations that that you've come up with, Paul. You know, for the you know for each episode. And, and in this instance, um, in this particular episode, I mean, we've got a pyramid, we've got like a a convent, we've got a town, a, a sort of small village type place, we've got a jungle, we've got, <laughs> we've got the interior of the TARDIS, there's lots and lots of really, really cool sort of background ambiences and I had a, a ton of fun building those up with all the multiple layers of effects and such like... Um, and it's, it's actually something that I'm known for, I suppose, as a producer. And, and, and it's, I, I guess it's one of my, my favorite parts of producing audio drama is, is actually creating these background ambiences. And I got some absolutely brilliant ones to do on this episode. I quite enjoyed doing the, um, the, the vocal effects for Packer as well, or Pasha. Um, yeah, Packer, yeah. I was right first time, great thanks yeah you were
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I put, put a lot of flange effect on that and also um, in keeping with sort of true radiophonic workshop uh, moments, I, I also did um, I actually used a lot of ring modulator on there as well a couple of other things as well towards the end of the episode as well there was uh, things like um, where the, the pyramids revealed to not actually be a pyramid at all You know, and a spaceship comes out at the top of it, and I thoroughly enjoyed putting that together as well. Um, I I suppose a couple of the interesting things that I did sort of from a production point of view was I actually deliberately made that last scene with the the top of the uh, pyramid coming off. Um, Mm. I, I actually distorted that particular scene. I deliberately made that scene distort, so it gives you that sort of shaky sort of camera quality almost like the ground shaking so you're hearing the voices are shaking as they speak and you can hear the the sort of rumbling and things going down it was interesting as well with the music on that one too because i've always felt that music was kind of a a huge part of audio drama and and sort of building up moods and things and for that particular one i you know I, I kind of found some some really good music online that sort of fit the sort of theme of the episode
0: that's one of the things that I've really been enjoying about our show, particularly over about the last year or so, mm-hmm. is how the music's coming. You know, the the, the music we've got uh, a lot of original music now, not relying on on the Murray Gold stuff like a lot of other groups do, and the music that we've been getting is just so well tailored to the scenes. Mm-hmm. That it it really contributes to bringing everything fine.
1: <coughs> yeah, I mean, it's something that, I, that, I'm, that I'm quite hot on is is sort of the is the music within audio drama because it it is an extra element. It's almost like um, it's almost like an extra sound effect or or an extra character within the audio drama. That's yeah, kind I of think... how you, uh, kind of how I approach it, you know. Um, and yeah I mean I, I, I've felt very strongly for the last sort of year, year and a half that, that really we should be moving away from using sort of soundtracks uh, like official sure. soundtracks and moving into using something uh, much much more interesting
2: definitely um, okay so should we move on to talk about episode 2 the accidental engineer um, was really quite an interesting concept because it, again introduced new characters and it had this whole idea of uh, not being a linear season. You know, we don't know when in the season this uh, events are occurring. But the other key thing it does is it introduces this idea for the Doctor and Amanda that something is really not right with the universe. Things have changed. Things that the Doctor expected have been altered. Now, time isn't supposed to do that because, as we know, it's a big ball of timey-wimey stuff. Um, so time shouldn't change. Time should repair itself. Time should be allowed to, um, have these paradoxes because it will just correct them. So, really, things don't change, you know. But all of a sudden, we've got this Ray Bradbury roll of thunder kind of thing where, you know, you, you crush a butterfly and the future 50 million years changes into, totally different situation so that of course sets off alarm bells for the doctor and he needs to go off and find out what's causing it and as well as that we um, have kind of an alternative to the doctor there's um, obviously strong uh, parallels between Amanda and Patricia and Malcolm Mobius and the doctor um, in that Malcolm Mobius has invented his own time machine um, which he calls the Titus
1: or the, or the tight ass.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as dimensionally transcendental as a TARDIS, so it's a bit more snug inside that? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember, I remember early talks having with Paul before this was written, and we were talking about the idea about what <clears throat> if... In some sort of parallel universe or something, there was there was an inventor, not a time lord per se, but yeah. who somehow got the idea in his head. Because we um we're talking about steampunk and how we've got some various steampunkish elements in the show, yep. and uh, we thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if this this engineer, this inventor, uh, while he's futzing around, accidentally stumbles upon the right. Uh, Formula, so to speak, for creating effectively his own time machine, and upon discovering it, uh, just goes jaunting off in, in time and space, and without the proper uh, time training, let's say the the Time Lords have uh, about non-intervention, about all the uh, you know the rules and laws guarding bouncing back and forth in time that, uh, you know, he just goes off and kind of willy-nilly starts exploring things, not thinking about what the potential ramifications of his actions would be in these various places.
2: Very much um, the concept of it, and that has series-wide implications, and, of course, the story gets more complex as we go. Um, But, yeah, it's, it's quite a fascinating opportunity to really say, you know, what would be the effects of uncontrolled time travel um, what effects could we have
1: The other side of that as well is that you're kind of seeing a crossover between the two timelines I, the, the, the timeline that the Doctor and Amanda are in and the one that Malcolm and Tricia are in as well because yeah. within, <laughs> within the episode you're hearing um, th- there's a line of dialogue in one scene and then there's a fast change of perspective where somebody else in another perspective finishes the sentence.
2: <laughs> yeah, we made um, tried to sort of have them all operating at the same time in different parts of space and time. Mm-hmm. But for the narrative, um, the doctor will be talking and then it'll switch to Malcolm Mobius who will say something and then Patricia will be talking and that'll switch to something Amanda says. Um, so it's like you're having these two parallel conversations which is kind of a, um, a nod in a way to Blink. Um, I just love that idea of the DVD extras, the the oh, Easter yeah. eggs they had where the doctor was having the conversation and then the woman comes along and accidentally has the other half of the conversation with him
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that I thought was just so cool. So it wasn't quite like that because obviously they're okay. not aware of each conversation but we wanted the, the oh, listeners yeah. to yeah. actually connect and be able to enjoy this idea of two parallel conversations taking place which happen to be connected. Um, yeah, and the Titus, of course, um, is travel and time and universal space. Um, and then Patricia says, you mean a tight A-us? Eh, and Malcolm <laughs> says, don't be silly, girl. The and is superfluous and has no place in any self-respecting acronym. So that was a bit of a jab at the TARDIS, unfortunately. But, um yeah. I suppose on the – But that works, though. Yeah, it does. But it was kind of like, you know, to, to sort of – set them up that this is you know this is not the doctor um
0: exactly that's why it works yeah so um, that was very very clever certainly and of course we
2: had the cat um nero my <laughs> siamese made his um acting debut absolutely yeah that was that was
1: kind of fun to do and i've even credited nero as well on the end credits yeah
0: i sure. saw that so.
1: <laughs> well we had to i mean the way that came about was that when i first read the script um I'd, I'd been chatting to Paul a number of times on Skype, and every now and again Nero comes up to the mic or sits on Paul's knee or something and and sort of purrs or sort of meows and stuff. And so I actually yeah. asked Paul if he could <laughs> maybe send me a couple of minutes of <laughs> sort of Nero noises,
2: you know. <laughs> Which was remarkably easy to get. Can you imagine that? <laughs>
1: Well, they say don't, you know, don't work with animals
2: or kids, you know, and <laughs> to be honest. Especially not in the same room, especially when you're trying to audio record. That's just a nightmare.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and, um, you know, we were talking about the, 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 the TARDIS and TITUS. Max TARDIS sound, when it's in flight, is actually about four or five different layers, all with bits going over the stereo field there's one that sort of pans between speakers there's another one that's in the left one in the right and then there's there's i think there's there's another one where i've it's a stereo uh layer that's actually being pulled out so it's expanded it's like an expanded stereo layer so that's basically like five layers and what i wanted to do was uh, when i created the sounds for the titus i actually wanted that to sound very very similar but not the same because it is radically different but i wanted i wanted people to sort of kind of just just make the connection between the two. Um, So one of the things I did was I used Max Tardis sounds um, as a basis for the tightest sounds and then ran them through all sorts of ring modulators, flanges, choruses, delays. (laughs) I did all sorts of weird and wonderful things with it so it still sounds sort of familiar but it's not the same. Again, one of the other things I loved about that particular episode, Paul, was, again, the locations. Again, you know, I mean, we had the whole restaurant scene as well. Yeah. It's
2: just definitely didn't... a nod to um, <coughs> Douglas Adams in that regard. Oh,
1: absolutely. Where The only <laughs> thing on the menu is kibble.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's just... That me, But me. And, and then they kind of get thrown out of the restaurant, you know, and yeah. the next minute, you know, they're in... <laughs> It's this like futuristic sort of cityscape. <laughs> come out of the, you know, a couple of other little notes from me, sort of from a production point of view, was um, when Trish's mobile phone rings and her mum rings her on the phone. It's actually like a, a, a doc, her ringtone is actually the Doctor Who theme. <laughs> <as well>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I thought would be kind of funny, you know, just to put in. <laughs> so it's just clever little touches like that, and it can really add to it. Of course, yeah. Fun. And things like, um you know, when when Tricia uh, first goes in to see Malcolm in his garage, where he's, you know, doing all sorts of work on the, the Titus and all sorts of external bits and pieces. You know, one of my favourite one-liners is he says it, he he actually looks at a, a certain piece of equipment and says it washes dishes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, was, that
0: was a great
1: one-liner. <laughs> yeah
0: lots of mad inventions going on in this one. And that reminds me of the scene where, uh, the doctor encounters Amanda and she's working on rebuilding canine. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's neat about that is we get to see a little bit more about the Amanda character. We start seeing that she has the, has her own engineering aptitude and that, uh, you know, she's tinkering and and trying to uh, to redevelop K nine for you know a new world for new audiences and with a distinctly new uh, new book to it. Yeah, <laughs> the other
1: side of that, as well as we also saw a side of the Doctor that we don't normally see as well, um, which is that he actually um, snaps at Amanda. Yes. And that's not something that we normally see from the Doctor because he's normally in control yeah. at all times, isn't he? You know. And, and so that was nice to see that sort of slightly different side of him as well. Because after all, this is a newly regenerated Doctor.
2: Yes, Might So look. his personality was meant to be a bit weird, a bit flip flop. <coughs> um, I mean, like for example, when they're in the TARDIS and they're talking about the washing machine. Amanda's saying, you don't have to add laundry detergent or anything. And the doctor says, it doesn't clean using detergent waterfield. It uses sonic technology to whisper insidious gossip into the ears of the dirt molecules, causing them to have a huge row with the fabric fibers. <laughs> they then um, they then split up and whatever attraction they had is gone. And Amanda, <laughs> you know, being a smart girl, picks up on this sort of, you know, silly metaphor and says, Leaving my jeans to sit at home drinking red wine and scoffing ice cream. And the Doctor, having flipped again sort of as a post-generation, regeneration personality, gets quite cantankerous and says, it's a pair of jeans, Amanda. Jeans don't drink wine and eat ice cream. And she's like, oh, you're so irritating sometimes. And, and that's exactly it because he's having these weird sort of personality mood swings, you know. He, he'll make a joke. She'll try and play along. And then he'll be like, that was a really <laughs> silly thing to say. And, and she gets frustrated. So... Yeah, oh, it, it, I
0: it's mean, it's it's just just when you think you understood the doctor, yes, it's it's still it's it's an episode already into the season, and all bets are still off. You you just when you you, you think you you know he's back to normal, yeah, maybe not.
2: No, well that's yeah, it, isn't you, it? You, yeah. So it was that kind of thing. It'll settle down as obviously the season continues, but. Um, the Doctor's always had that sort of playful clown aspect of his personality. It's come through on almost every one of his uh, incarnations. Absolutely. So I try to always be faithful to that, but at the same time, he can be deadly serious. Oh, yeah. You know, when, it, when it's
1: required. Even Tom Baker, it was, uh, his Doctor was sort of pretty much class clown. Um, for most of the time.
0: So you started getting like towards the, uh, a lot of the Baker's final season, like about the last mm-hmm. three or four episodes, mm-hmm. and Legopolis in particular. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, he, he was really, I don't know if I want to say dark, but very serious. He had, mm-hmm. he had almost that Christopher Eccleston like kind of just like a darkness to him that, uh, you didn't want to mess with him. He he got more serious. And, oh yeah, you know. I know. There were times
1: that what, what I'm saying is that most of the time he was class clown, but every now and again,
0: oh yeah,
1: he would get really powerful and dramatic. You know, I mean, I'm thinking particularly the sort of speech in Genesis of the Daleks, where he has a choice of destroy them now before they become the scourge of the universe, or or not. Yeah. You know, and and that must have been like a torment of a decision to make. Well, so yeah, I mean. Uh, absolutely, you know, even, even the class clown can be really serious and unpredictable too
2: Anyway, moving on to episode 3 The Thing Yes. <laughs> now, I've got to say, this is my favourite episode so far because I know every year we write an episode which is the comedy and it's you know, sometimes it's the April episode, but um, as we say our schedule was a bit different this year because of the life events uh, the Christchurch earthquake and Steve's parent, uh, father's ill health, especially. But what we did here, or what I did here, is I wrote this episode, which was the comedy episode of the season. So it's the where we break all the rules, we go completely silly, um, <laughs> and we end up with this wonderful example of um, time changing. Uh, Will Shakespeare is accidentally dragged through time, Deposited in a small town, modern day England, um, amateur theatre company production of Shakespeare. Well, and of course, f- you can imagine the humour possibilities of having William Shakespeare present at the rehearsals of a Shakespearean play that he hasn't written yet. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, is that it opens with Shakespeare trying to write it, and he's got writer's block. So he's trying to write Romeo and Juliet, and he's trying to work out where to set it. So, of course, he's all upset because, you know, should it be in Venice or Morocco or bloody London? Um, and then, of course, he gets sent through time and encounters this quirky bunch of characters. Um, we have a paroled, supposed aristocrat, um, who was involved in some dodgy dealings involving missing gold, um, Who's now who imp- was imprisoned and is now on parole. Some rather starstruck locals. And uh, then, of course, the doctor and Amanda turn up, and there's a murder mystery, and everything just gets crazy. It, so It was so funny, because when he is
1: deposited, he kind of falls out of a broom cupboard, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which was <laughs> a nice touch as well.
2: Certainly, um, based it on a lot of the, the British sitcoms that I grew up on. Um, you know, so there's there's characters like you know a Mrs. Bouquet type character, and that kind of uh, putting on airs. Um, there's the crusty old, you know, sort of Lord of the Manor type. Um, there's the cocky young English boy. There's the slightly daft English blonde chick, um, who who so innocently is just absolutely in awe of the the, the, um, the Lord and is also, you know, innocently says the stupidest things. Uh, like Will Shakespeare says, This is the script. What strange hand has writ thus? And Maud, the slightly daffy one, says, Oh, that'd be me. I like Garamond font, but Edwardian <laughs> tends to give it that Shakespearean style. Don't you agree, <laughs> Sir Clarence? <laughs> <You know. laughs> So, completely misunderstanding what William Shakespeare's saying, um, she thinks he's talking about the font. And, you know, she writes an Edwardian font because, you know, that that looks more Shakespearean. Bugger right. the fact that it might be hard to read. Yeah. And, and of course,
1: and you mentioned there Fiona playing uh, the character Maud. Yeah. Uh, the model, brilliant. The Maudlin series, we've nicknamed it Maud, and Alexa and I kind of nicknamed it Maud, and sort of have... Yeah. Our, you know, Sophie Roberts (laughs) from Maud, playing Maud in Doctor Who was a nice little kind of connection as well. Um, In that particular episode, you'll hear some sort of dun-dun, you know, type sounds, you know. Um, There's one that happens, obviously, when Shakespeare falls out of the cupboard. Yeah. When uh, Maud's actually walking around the the attic of the theatre. She's right up there in the, the... you know amongst all the pigeon poop, I might add, <laughs> which was another funny sort of moment, <laughs> and um the actual that the, there's a piece of music that sits underneath that or or at least it appears to sound like music, but it's not quite music. What it is is um a little while ago, I had an email from um Fiona saying that she just inherited um a, an auto hop which had been around for uh, it's it's well over 100 years old um, I believe and uh, what she did was she recorded me lots of little tiny little sound effects she sent me a whole mp3 it's about like 10-15 minutes of, of <laughs> this like auto harp this 100 year old auto harp and wow. um, so I've been um, i, I Ever, ever since I'd got that, I was busting to use it, you know. <laughs> I've used it all over, modeling. I've used it on Doctor Who. It's just, it's just fantastic. It just has just that perfect quality. One of the interesting things as well um, about the particular episode was um, we, we got a fair few auditions came in. and The one that I kept going back to, and in fact we all kept going back to, was this guy called Sean O'Connor. His his recording quality wasn't really up to par to be used in, you know, the recording quality on his audition wasn't really up to par to be used on the episode. But his performance was absolutely first rate. Um, So I went back to Sean and I said, is there any chance you could maybe uh, sort of improve your recording quality a little bit? Because we'd really like to use you, you know. Um, And which he did. He went to a commercial recording studio that was owned by a friend of his. And sent me another audition, and it's obviously it sounded fantastic, you know. <laughs> um, and, and then I started do, doing a bit more Googling as to who Sean actually is, and it turns out that he's actually a Shakespearean theatre actor yeah. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> um, so, so we we actually wound up with a Shakespearean theatre, a bona fide Shakespearean theatre actor playing Shakespeare on our show which was superb and I, I'm, I'm really glad I sort of held out for um, Sean because he did a fabulous job for us um, and he was just absolutely spot on and, and, and another bit of sort, of sort of coincidental sort of casting was that um, I was cast as Andy um, you know the, the sort of sound and lights guy uh, for the theatre and um, in, in real life I actually worked doing sound for concerts in an old Georgian theatre in real life
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> I was say, Stevie, how difficult was it to to find this character to truly bring it to life? Oh, it, it was such an acting gig.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so tough, Mac. You know? <laughs> but, but yeah, it was just sort of a nice a nice turn up for the books, you know. Is that I got to sort of kind of play this character? <laughs> it could have been. It could have actually have been me, you know.
0: In the series. I thought when Paul wrote it, he wrote it with you in mind.
1: I did, actually. Oh, that's, <laughs> okay. that's pretty cool. Um, but at the yeah. time, well, Paul didn't know that I'd actually worked as a sound engineer in a Georgian theatre. <laughs> so, um, and, and again, there were was, was some really, really special moments in this, this episode for me as well, which was, um, I love the old-fashioned sort of British Bobby. That
2: yeah, writing everything down slowly and carefully <laughs> and <laughs> repeating it as he writes it down. It was yeah.
1: fantastic. And one of was a
2: suspicious things- character. <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, he was funny.
1: He was funny. He was brilliantly played and, and very, very well written. And it was just hysterical the way that he was doing things. Um, and one of the other things I did with the production on that, uh, to bring that out as well and give it that sort of classic sort of British Bobby type thing, Uh, Was that I used um, popular theme tunes from those type of TV shows. (laughs) Um, I used one. I I used the theme tune from Dixon of Doc Green. Oh, classic! And I also used Inspector Morse as well. Yeah, theme from that um, within the mix as well, albeit actually in a, a an affected way. Um, I actually added effects to it because I want, i wanted people to sort of just get a taste of of what that is, you know. I think and, and just sit there thinking to themselves. I know that music, but what's it from? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and sort of, you know, to give that sort of quality. <laughs> and I thought it was hysterical. There's some other big moments as well, like you know the bit with um, um, where one of the characters falls through the loft. Straight into the, the theatre kind of Crashing through the ceiling That was kind of fun to do as well But yeah, it was it was a great show uh, a, a really good episode and I, I can quite understand why it might be your, your favourite of the season, Paul it was, it was such a funny, good, fun sort of episode
2: Yeah, and I think the fact that we had that comedy as our third episode Made the fourth episode even more poignant Yes, um, it did Um, Because that, that's when things got really serious again. Um, and it was always written like that. It was, it was like, you know, we'd had this wonderful laugh. We'd had some quirky fun. You know, it was the, the first, well, the third episode was a little step outside the, the theme of the, of the entire season. But there were elements of it in there, especially at the beginning and the end. And then it's like, You know we now return you to your regularly scheduled drama and
1: boy did it hit with a punch
2: (laughs) yeah Uh, um this this whole this whole new species of people you know um the vasha and the the idea of these this hive mind um you know what one knows they all know and and that wonderful sense of community Mm -hmm. um this this interesting quirk of human evolution
0: um
2: you know, and, and these people fleeing from something absolutely destructive and terrifying. Um, and just giving an idea of just how serious this is. You know, this is whatever is going on. It's bigger than Daleks and it's bigger than Cybermen and it's, it's some, some new threat which is threatening to engulf the entire universe. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah. I mean,
1: f- from a personal level, uh, this this is without a doubt the most personal episode that i've produced of any audio drama ever yeah um for for lots of different reasons um the first being that um a, a very 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 good friend of mine um in fact actually my mentor um who worked on broken seas doctor who theme with me we we collaborated we had all manner of different projects on the go some very, 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 very high-level commercial projects we had on the go. Um, Jay was coming to live in England. We had all sorts of plans for what we were going to be doing when he did come to England. Um, all sorts of stuff, and, and and you know, I mean, I, I went out last year to Arizona. Um, sort of stayed for three weeks in Jay's house, um, and and unfortunately passed away uh, a couple of months ago, and so it it, it hit me. Very, very hard. Um, yeah. And, it, and in fact, um, when I was trying to record the little dedication I put on the front of that, uh, the front end of that episode, um, it took me in excess of well over four hours to record about fifteen seconds of a dedication, simply because every time I tried, I just choked up. Um, yeah. I, you know, I lost a friend. I lost my mentor. I lost pretty much. You know, I mean, it was it was terrible. We we're like family to uh, to each other it was uh it, it was it was quite heartbreaking to say the least um, uh, some, I mean it, it just it was shocking and in fact it, it, even the um, it, even the, the actual take I actually eventually used you can hear my voice trembling still yeah. on that and you know in the end I just thought what the hell I'm only human and our fans will understand that you know Um but he was such a, a, a big part of my life for about the last three sort of years um, three, four years uh, just incredible man and I miss him terribly uh, we, I, I used to the, the laughs we had were just insane um, and then also within this episode I also produced the most difficult scene I've ever had to produce again on any audio drama episode that I've done um, which was the whole musical uh, death scene oh, yeah. which um, you know the, the reason it hurt me so much, uh, the reason it was so difficult was that it was actually my own son that played Musil <laughs> uh, making his voice acting debut as well you know it was the, the very first full on proper role that he'd ever had in an audio drama you know and I had to kill him off <laughs> you know? um, so it, it was pretty difficult to, to, to be able to produce that but but again, you know, I mean, the casting was mine on that one. You know, it was my my choice and everything. So, you know, um, but it, it was very difficult to do, and I thought he did a great job as well. Um, as did um, Bill's granddaughter Draven, who, yeah, actually mentioned that great. actually mentioned great. That she, she she didn't like the sound of her own voice.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny because I told Bill the day after I heard the uh, the rough cut of this. That I actually had to stop for a while and literally listen to the credits to make sure that that was her, because yeah. you know, despite the fact that we've you know we've worked on it off with Draven for the last few years, it there was this this new maturity to mm-hmm. her voice. You know, we we saw an actual vocal evolutionary step here. <laughs> and uh, you know her delivery was wonderful, absolutely. And I could just—it was just interesting hearing this newfound maturity in her voice. So I think uh, you know I like to think we're going to be seeing certainly more, more of Josh in time to come. And uh, I think probably I suspect we seeing seeing uh, increased and maybe meatier, uh more mature roles for Draven in time to come.
1: Absolutely. I mean. Um... Driven did a fantastic job for us, and um, I I can kind of understand it. Obviously, I've done a fair bit of voice acting too, you know, and I can kind of understand um, that that the first time people hear the change in their voice as as you get older and such like, it can be quite a quite a surprise, really, you know. (laughs) Uh,
0: Hey, I didn't start actually being able to tolerate my own voice till about three four years ago. (laughs) Wow! By and large, I've hated my voice. Like I said, barely tolerating it now. I've, I've kind of come to grips with it. That's wow. where I am right now. I don't like it, but I'm okay
1: with it. You know, basically, I just wanted to say, you know, just how great I thought Draven was. In fact, I actually think it was probably the best performance I've heard her give. Yes, uh, definitely. Yes. Truthfully, oh, yeah. she, she was exceptional
2: in it, you know. Bill's a really good director, um, and they're supporting them 100% when the kids voice act. Um and I've always enjoyed having his granddaughters contribute, um, and things like the Insidious Octopoids trailer. Um, that was just so hysterically funny. And, you know, they totally carried that. Um, and of course, and again, in this, it's a totally different thing, but there's a kid who could definitely have a future as a professional voice actor.
1: I totally agree. Just superb. Mm. Um, one of the other things was um, the, the, sorry to go back to um, the, the bit where obviously Musil dies. Um, w- the interesting part about that scene was the interaction between Amanda and the Doctor. It was obviously very, very emotional, sort of like, emotionally charged scene. You know, with Amanda sort of pretty much screaming at him. You know, this is this is what you do. Yeah. You've got to go back and save him. You know, and and, yeah. and, and then he can't go back on his own timeline. And mm. it's, it's it must be. Um, it brought out Again it brought out New new sort of elements Or new aspects of the Doctor's character You know
0: Yeah
2: I don't think we've the Things like the line Of Sashila's When um, You know They start out Telling the story Of the Docker You know mm-hmm. This great wizard With his Sonak technology And how he, You know He defeated this evil person And promised the Vashi He'd come back When they needed him building that idea that there are countless races out there who have encountered the Doctor in all of his incarnations
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they all have myths and legends around him oh. they they know who he is and they, they tell their children these stories you know he's, he's this really terrifying um, you know sort of bogeyman almost character feared and loved because you know he saved us but he's really dangerous. Yeah,
1: and and, and the other side of that as well is that um, as good as the Doctor is, you can't save everybody all of the time.
2: No, that's right. And then when Sheila says later, when she's talking to them about, you know, recognising the Doctor, she says, he is the docker, the oncoming storm, which has been used before, And so, obviously, that's a a title that's well known. And she says he's the most powerful wizard in any story ever. The one who saves us from Isu Parafa, the silence that is like death. And the Docker, we call him the whisper in the silence. So, and that just still gives me chills, you know. And the way that was delivered by Draven was amazing. But the the idea that, you know, the the Varashi have, or the Vashi have this, this concept of like they they always are in mental contact with each other. Everyone knows what everyone else knows. They all experience the same things, and there are there there the like the suffering or the the, the pain of an experience is diluted by being spread among a billion people. Um, so you know, if someone dies, the shock of that death, the pain of that death, um, is is spread. So it's absorbed, and no one suffers. But for them being alone, being cut off, is the silence that is like death. You know, not having, Mm -hmm. being surrounded by an entire civilization of, of presences and personalities and voices that are touching your own. And so the doctor is the one who saves them from that silence, but yet he does that by being the whisper. So, you know, when you're alone... The whisper and the silence will come for you, will come to you, and that is the doctor. So when you're at your darkest, when all is lost for the Vashi, when they're in silence and so alone, that is when the whisper and the silence will come. And that's just a really powerful image that I just couldn't shake. Um, and I tried to communicate through the script of the doctor being this you know beam of light. When all else is darkness, you know this. This voice, this whisper in the silence. So yeah.
0: After uh, after we released this episode last weekend, uh, a buddy of mine called, and uh, he had been listening to Whisper in the Silence, and uh, I didn't know he really even listened to the show. So that was that was kind of neat to hear. But he wanted to tell me that uh, when he heard this after the the opening speech from uh, Masama he said, you know, I was listening to that and I couldn't think, he said, something sounded familiar in that do do you think you heard it somewhere before? And then he said yeah, it was like that one Mad Max movie when they were all sitting around and and the kids were telling stories about Captain Walker Yes. (laughs) I started chuckling because I said oh, you know what? That's what I was thinking too when I first read this script.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly where that inspiration came from. Um, okay, you know, you know I'm a huge Mad Max fan. I mean, I've written and produced our own our own Mad Max stories and love the movies. But yeah, that idea of you know of, of a culture with with a history and and how would they you know tell their stories and that idea of you know the children telling their stories. Um, and even at the end of Thunderdome where they're in the ruins of Sydney and they're telling their children the story, you know, of the the guy, the mad of Mad Max and, and how he saved them. Um it Yeah, also- so that was kind of thing, you know, it's like the oral tradition of cultures that they will yeah. always tell their stories to the next generation.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the big things that I liked about this particular episode, you know, up until now we've been talking about the, uh, the really powerful, heartfelt, intense, dramatic, uh, moments in it. But there's also, uh, quite a lot of comedy in it. Uh, in the first scene that the doctor and Amanda yeah. Yeah. show up. Yeah, Kate the Berenstein, Super mega the, roller the coaster at an amusement park. Yeah.
2: But, and that was, it's a more the, the element of that was to have, you know, even in death, there is, you know, there is a, a place for, for joy. Um, so, you know, it's a funeral complex. You know, it's it's the guy's tomb, but it's an amusement park because that's what they do. These people, you know, celebrate his life. Mm-hmm. They don't mourn it. I mean, they're obviously mourning his passing, but they do it by celebrating his life and doing joyful things like riding one of the universe's longest roller coasters. Um. And you know, that whole celebration of, of life and death and yeah. Uh he says the Al celebrate death. They enjoy the heartfelt belief that a life well lived leads to an afterlife well deserved. In other words, the man who lives a great life receives a greater afterlife. And King Berenstem the fourteenth was one of their greatest. Look, there's a statue of him next to the Ferris wheel. <laughs> and then of course there's the whole thing about the mop. And it's so mop. again, cultural differences. To the um elsari the the mop was his scepter and but you know amanda's like it's a mop <laughs> you know? and of course she gets the <laughs> giggles about that and the doctor's insisting it's the sacred symbol of his majesty's regal office granted by divine right and you know and of course that leads to a whole series of jokes um yeah and it's a mop it's, it's a mob. It's and a then, mob. of course, you know, it's like well, for example, you don't hear me pointing out that you, to your Queen Elizabeth, that Windsor is the Galakian word for a public toilet in desperate need of maintenance. I mean, the doctor's trying to be serious, <laughs> but of course, Amanda just totally loses it. And says they should have called King stem, he would have sorted it out right quick. Uh, and again, you know, of
0: that of kind of like Douglas Adams flavor. Yeah, um, was, that was delicious. Yeah, and and it also that that comedy really
2: um, you know sort of again sharpens the the blade um, of the the, you know of the sting of the drama that follows and there was the thing where the doctor says um, about Sashila being the only survivor and if they'd all died if she had died then what had happened here all these deaths would have just been a statistic but because there is one survivor there is a personal focus there is a personal story to it and that makes it a tragedy So, you know, if an entire species or civilization or planet or, you know, fleeing fleet of starships of refugees are wiped out with no survivors, that's a terrible thing. But there's no personal aspect to it. But having that personal contact with the one survivor, there you go. Now it's a tragedy. Now it's something that means something. It's got dimension. Um, it's got a a focus and that just sharpens it even more
1: yeah and, and from a production point of view um, I'm kind of known for blowing stuff up <laughs> but, and, and and okay yeah we've got we've got a fantastic scene you know where the ship sort of slams in, in, into this other ship uh, you know and as you, you hear you sort of cutting torches coming through the walls and these horrible raptor things come running through you tearing the place apart and eventually they do tear the ship completely apart um but I also enjoy producing scenes just like the fairground, <laughs> you know. That yeah. That's fun. Um, and, and I enjoy doing the emotional scenes too. Um, and, and I actually enjoy all of those different varieties of scenes. In fact, that's what actually keeps me interested is that you do have that balance of the different styles.
2: With it, well, with it, it has shot. to be, you know, it, it's part of a good story, I think, is that, you know, you want to laugh one moment and cry the next. If it was just one plodding... Depressing, grim drama. Mm -hmm. um, You'd have to be in a particular mood to enjoy it, but I think having it spiced with a bit of humour is um, is important.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like watching Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah. If you wanted to watch that film, you have to be in the right frame of mind to watch it. You can't. You can't just. It's not one of those films you can
2: watch all the time. You know. No, I mean, stoned out of your gourd is the best way to watch that movie. But, <laughs> but you're quite right; you have to be in a particular headspace.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and um, you know that the whole idea of this particular culture sort of celebrating a, a great man's life sort of uh, reflects what I guess I'm doing right now in respect of Jay's memory. Yeah, which is well, that's um, just it.
2: You know, I, I'm, it's, I'm that's lit-
1: part of it. Yeah, I'm literally. Kind of celebrating his life now. Um, there's uh, there's been talk of of um, right up to a few weeks before he passed away. He was still sending me updates for his website oh. um, and, and and such like. So th- th- I've 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 been chatting to um, young Josh actually, um, who did our uh, the soundtrack or part of the soundtrack for this episode. In fact. Because um, Josh knew him as well. We've we've chatted very briefly about um, maybe finishing that off um, and and trying to add extra elements to it, maybe some clips of audio and stuff like that. You know, again as a celebration of his life. And one of the other things I'm doing is that when Jay was still alive, we um, we were collaborating on an album together, and I've got all of Jay's parts and sections already here recorded. Um, so I'm, I'm going to finish the album and I'm going to release it as a commercial release, but in aid of a, a cancer charity. Um, so again, mm-hmm. it's all about the, the celebrating this great man's life, and, and the fact that um, some of Josh's uh, music was actually mirrored was actually used in the episode as well. Kind of seemed fitting as well because um, again, like I said, Josh New Jay as well, um, and and again, Mac you were talking about uh, the music on Doctor Who. Um, in this particular episode, every single piece of music was an original piece, um, awesome. including the theme tune. Um, I was chatting to uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mark, who who's, um kind of the creative force behind the band, uh, the Thought Criminals. I mean, we were chatting one day, and he, you know, we mentioned about you know Doctor Who and the various series that I produce, and um, he just sent me a. a a a song straight away it's one called Electricity and said there you go you can use that on Doctor Who and he he then sent me a couple of others to use on um, Escape from New York too, as well when I eventually get around to sort of getting that cast and getting it into production Um, I also wrote um, I I also those four pieces of my music in there as well uh, two of which were remixes uh, and two were completely original pieces <clears throat> you know, from a production point of view, one of those pieces of music. Um, when I was in Arizona, J uh, t- um, handed me a prototype of a piece of equipment called this. Um, it's actually called a G two M, and it's made by a company called Sonus. Now, now, J had actually designed this particular piece of equipment. It's it's a, uh, an, a- an analog to MIDI converter, basically. And Jay actually gave me one of the prototypes to bring home with me, uh, which I actually used on one of the pieces of music in this episode. So it was, was kind of like um, a little piece of Jay wound up in the mix as well. One of the, the Finally, the other piece was that, that very soft sort of piano version of the Doctor Who theme that I used under the whole musical sort of death sequence. Um, that, that was awesome. That was also done by a friend of mine, um, a guy called Matt Jessup, who works for Digital Village. And what he does is he he actually designs sounds and uh, synthesizer patches for famous people, um, including people like Gary Newman, for example. I'm a big fan of Gary Newman, and uh, what happened was um, he'd actually designed some sounds for Gary Newman's last tour, um, so what he thought he'd do is he created this piano piece with all of these sounds underlaid underneath it. So these are actually Gary Newman's sounds, you know, the sounds that we, you know, created for Gary Newman to use on tour. And so Matt did that, and then he actually released it on YouTube and, and dedicated that version of the theme to me, particularly, <laughs> which was kind of cool. Okay. Um, and when he did that, I actually asked him um, straight away, you know, can I use this on a on on the series? And, um, of course, he came back and said, yeah, I made it for you. You use it, you know. <laughs> it's just kind of cool. Um, so it's, I've had it sat there on my hard drive for the last two years. And I've, I've not, I've been waiting for the right moment to use it. And that was the right moment. Um, just a fantastic piece of music. A great version of the theme tune as well. Really, really, really special stuff so yeah and I mean um, so much so that I was chatting to Matt recently um, and he enjoyed this particular episode so much that he's he's sort of kind of up for doing little bits and pieces um, for the show as well and we've we've even chatted about maybe he's perhaps doing a a, like a a, about Matt actually doing me a soundtrack album that I can use on various episodes you know text snippets out here and there and he's, he's offered other services which is kind of cool because it's we're bringing more and more original musicians and original music into the mix that's written specifically for the series. It's, it's getting kind of cool. I'm quite surprised as to how many people have come forward and done that. It's been
2: quite a phenomenal thing. The, uh, the amount of people who've just sort of turned up and said, Hey, we love what you're doing and we want to contribute. And I think Stevie's direction has been a huge part of that. You know, your production values and getting people involved who are absolutely A list. You know, musicians, composers, and just phenomenal people that we would never have imagined would be so keen to donate time and talent. Um, and the full cast throughout the season is the same. You know, we've we've really got something. I think we can be very proud of.
1: Well, let's see. The thing is, Paul, I'm a cheeky sod.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: Basically, I've got a lot of I didn't want all... to guess that about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of I've got a lot of bottle, and um, if an opportunity presents itself, I'm cheeky enough to just ask.
0: <laughs> I think another thing that we've got going for us too is the fact that you know while we have so many original elements in the show uh, with regard to, to to music and to characters and, and what have you, uh, is that we also still maintain ties to the original series yep. Uh, yep. This, ep- this episode the doctor gets summoned uh, by the shadow architect and we have the Jadoon. He's- um,
2: <laughs> he's
0: in the episode prior to that the, the, the thing there's a scene where the doctor is is in this room like with Sir Clarence and maudlin and Shakespeare and uh, and he's he's saying you know you you really should not be here will And uh, who is it this time? Cyberman, the Daleks, the old Hags didn't come back, did they? And unless you you've watched the David Tennant episode, you know when they're there at the Globe with Shakespeare, you're not you're not going to know what they're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, which was fun. And then of course, uh, you know, Will Will goes uh, aha, expelliarmus, indeed, Doctor. So now we've got this. Little subtle tie over to to pop culture in the form of yep. Harry Potter, and uh, you know what? That's that's really cool. That's that's definitely uh, you know. I think that speaks to people, yeah, from a pop cultural perspective.
2: Yeah, yeah. the idea was to tie it in with references made in various um, other episodes and things. So yeah, especially ones with Will Shakespeare because that was a fun story. It certainly um, was just going to say also but looking forward um, the next episode episode five uh, the six billion deaths of Sokovashi
0: I love that title yeah likewise
2: (laughs) (laughs) that and the thing um, I thought were my favorite titles for this year Um, oh there's some really good ones though I think we should actually publish a list of all the episode titles Um, that would be well deserved just to really keep people's uh, interest uh, so, what we have is, Viracoka is episode one. Episode two, The Accidental Engineer. Episode three, The Thing. Episode four, The Whisper in the Silence. Episode five, The Six Billion Deaths of Sokavashi. Episode six is Centurion. Episode seven, The Dominus Effect. Episode eight, Gothic. Episode nine, The Lesson of the Daleks. Episode ten, Empire, episode 11, The Gallifrey Solution, and episode 12 is Here and Now.
1: Okay. That should get the fans. um, (coughs) That should get people talking, Paul, (laughs) with titles like that. (laughs) They're certainly very enticing and intriguing titles, to see. the Yeah, well, they
2: really were fun to come up with. Um, The fun thing about... Episode 5, our next episode, and I won't give away any real details, but um, it was a real tribute um, specifically to James Cameron's Aliens um, in in that there's a lot of similarities and there's even some some pop culture references that people might get. Um, But it's very much its own unique story, but it certainly has... You know, if, you, if you're a fan of Aliens and that universe, um, mm-hmm. you'll certainly pick up on some things. It's funny you should say that, Paul, but um, in Whisper in
1: the Silence, the bit where the the, the sort of out, welding arc or cutting torch or whatever comes through, that whole bit reminded me of the opening scene of Aliens, Yeah, where they find Ripley's ship again and you know yeah. they cut the sort of door open and that flops down it, that's what I kind of had in mind when I
2: mixed that yeah. scene <laughs> well that, that's just it I mean and there's, there's some really you know that kind of human elements to it um, uh-huh. coming through um, yeah and th- in the six billion deaths of Sokovashi the world they go to is very much like you know the, the terraformed desolate world of aliens and um, there's a, there's a wonderful line where um, Amanda says, you know, about com- things coming out at night, mostly, and someone says, yes, <laughs> and how did you know that? And she says, oh, just a lucky guess. But, you know, that, that, was, a, that was a direct quote. <laughs> um, nice and, you know, this caused lots of running and screaming and, and, you know, trying to weld doors shut and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's quite an action-packed episode, um, oh, and we also get um, the return of some old friends. So that should be cool for people who have been fans of previous seasons of our Doctor Who. On the,
1: you know, on a subject that Mac brought up as well, about sort of adding these little things in, uh, little references to other stuff. There was a reference to Star Wars in the last episode as
2: well. Yeah,
1: which yeah. Which just
2: great. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the thing, because, you know, Amanda's a, a character who lives in Very near to our time in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Um, I sort of always imagined her as maybe sort of living in the 2020s or the 2030s. Um, so, you know, the world has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but it's still very recognizable. And she's obviously well read and well educated. Um, that comes out later on with her father. Um, there's a great line I've used in a later episode. Um, where someone actually says to her, um, it's Latin for may the force be with you. And <laughs> yeah, um, it was just a, a nice little thing, you know. Um, and and it, it sounds really quite odd, but um, yeah. So I threw that in there and things. But, and there is some interesting Latin quotes in this because, you know, nothing says intellectual snobbery like quoting Latin. <laughs> so, um, and so there's a few of those. Gated ma- throughout
1: various episodes. Can, can you imagine a doctor coming back with a quote? Um, that, you know, and the, the, this this is Silurian for these are not the droids you're looking
2: for.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say.
0: quite
2: go that
1: far, but yeah.
0: Then, uh, that's not... Well a, was close because <laughs> you had a, you had Amanda say, um, you know, the doctor said, uh, you know, it's time to go back yeah. to the TARDIS. We need to find out what's happening. And Amanda said, you know, she sighs and she says, this is not the great time you're looking. For. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Part of this little Star Warsy dialogue, and, <laughs> and uh,
2: yeah, and that, so that, I
0: that thought it was hip. It was cool. Yeah.
2: That whole thing where you know, it, you know, he suffers this terrible pain, and she's like, you know, as if you just, you know, as if a million voices suddenly cried out in terror, and 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 he's like, no, nothing like that at all. <laughs>
0: it's no, like, that was just yeah. funny. I, when I was reading that script, um, and I got to that point where that. That thing happened to the doctor, and, uh, you know, he says he felt like some terrible catastrophe had, had befallen the large number of people. I hadn't read beyond that. Yeah, yeah. And when I got to that line, I'm like, oh, hey, this is like Star Wars. Yeah. And then I read further on, and it's just like, oh, go Paul! And I just started laughing.
1: <laughs> That's no small moon. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: a. No, it's a tackler yeah.
2: <laughs> It's a mop,
0: <laughs> is what it actually is.
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to lay it on too thick, but I thought you know just a little bit, a little nod. Okay.
0: Um, a little is the little subtleties, the nods, sometimes usually carry a lot more weight than if you just hammer something at at the oh, audience. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah there's a, there's a line here. Um, yeah. Someone. Um, I won't spoil it by saying who but there's a line where they say read a book and find out i have to get back to work mrs harris will be here till i get home sit vis vobiscum which is uh, may the force be with you in land
1: <laughs> fantastic
2: <laughs> so but you'll have to wait till the final episode for that
1: yeah and the uh, the season's building up and building up and the story's starting to to build and build and build as well the tension starting to build and we're starting to get little subtle touches of the ominous nature.
2: Yeah and when I remember two years ago the Skype conversations we had um, you know with our creative team and you know that was Stevie and Paul and Mark and, and Bill and we were talking about this season and we said hey you know let's build on this and let's do that and let's go this and The ideas that everyone put forward and the stuff, and it's all been incorporated into these episodes. Um, there's something in there for everyone, but just the way it's all come together and could not have imagined, you know, two years ago that when I started writing this, that everything that was going to change so much for so many of us between now and then and the, the scope of it and the story that would come out of these, these script ideas that were just literally scribbled on the back of a fag packet kind of piece of paper, you know, it's like, yeah, we'll throw this in and then this will happen and and, and this is, you know, going to be a key plot element and now, of course, that's all been distilled down to these details and page after page of dialogue um, and 12 full episodes of stories, it's just phenomenal. Well,
0: well the mean- thing of it is, too, and you know, people out there know that I, I write do a little bit of scripting myself, time to time. Yeah. That um, you know, Paul. I'm sure you've experienced this. That you know, you have your discussions, you write your script, you have this idea in mind, and more often than not, certainly with with the the people at Broken Sea, and when the final product is produced and released, there's usually this like extra magic that happens and there are these little subtleties and these little extras mm. that get put in by the actors by the post producers that not only you know take the script that you've got a pretty good vision of but just bring it to a whole huge amazing new level when it's finally released and, and hearing it versus reading it on the page yep. is yep. often a completely different and, and amazing experience.
2: Yeah, I'm a very visual thinker, so whenever I'm writing a script, I'm it's like I'm just writing a transcript of a movie that I'm seeing in my head. Uh-huh. So, you know, I see Robin as, you know, Robin um, as Amanda and I see yourself as the doctor and I see you guys, you know, in King Berenstam's funerary tomb um, amusement park and you know like it was a movie but you guys are those characters it's not you know Mark Kalita and Robin Carlyle standing there it's the Doctor and Amanda and all this is going on so all I'm doing is just writing down what I see and what I hear you guys saying but the characters are so much part of the story they are often the ones who are telling me what's happening I'm not often when I get into the flow of it I won't be sitting there going oh what should they say next they tell me and I'm like, wow, that's really good. I hadn't thought of that. Thanks. You know, so I'm just copying down everything that they're dictating. And, and a lot of that, as well, is that
1: you. Um, oh, sorry. Certainly, another aspect of that is that you're writing as well, with certain things in mind for me as the producer too. Yeah. And I kind of sit there, imagining yourself sitting there typing away on the scripts, thinking, "Oh, Stevie's yeah. going to get a kick out of doing this one in this picture. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I I'll, I'll do things like, um, you know, I don't write, you know, SFX. The door opens and stuff because that's in the dialogue, and and you know we know that yeah. that's going to happen. And and Stevie doesn't need me to put that, and he can know when a door opens or closes. But it'll be things like, you know, I'll, I'll write in sort of like suggestions, like you know, can you make a sound like you know a thousand whales all burping at the same time, or <laughs> you know, <laughs> something you know really epic because. I don't know, I have no idea how you'd make it, but I know it's not just a, oh, yeah, we'll go to a sound effects file and we'll pull out, you know, file number F7139, you know, nuclear explosion, and we'll put that in. It's like, no, it's much bigger than that. It's kind of a whooping sound of, you know, yeah, no. of like a thousand <laughs> whales apologizing all at once or something. Um, and, and also I'll put that kind of direction in there. And I, and I trust Stevie to, to use his magic and just, yeah, make it go.
1: Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I we, we, sort of work-wise, sort of, you know, the the, the the sort of teamwork that we've built up—we're all anticipating each other and, and what each other's going to do. So, Paul will write things for me, knowing that I'm going to do that, or, or yeah. certainly having a certain idea, but, you know, in mind. I'm you,
0: grateful. I'm grateful that that Paul seems to be cool with the fact that I will, from time to time, throw in little ad libs. Yeah. To, to his scripts. Absolutely. And, yeah. um, Likewise. I I know there are writers out there who are very firm in what they wrote and will really get ticked off at you if a script is not recorded verbatim as they wrote it. And, uh, you know, I can, I can see that perspective too. But again, I count myself fortunate because sometimes, you know, an actor will be, if, if they've done the part for a really long time, They've got a good understanding of the character. And sometimes they'll they'll see a line and say, okay, that's good. I think personally that this character in this situation might say something like this. And um, uh, more or less, I, I think I've been lucky enough for the times that I've done it yeah. to uh, to have enhanced the situation. Yeah, well, I've
2: never heard um, one of your ad-libs that made me think, what the Roster. hell and that, you know, that, that, that <laughs> really ruined my script so I have no issue with it at all because um, it always adds something I mean that whole thing we were talking about earlier with the um, going slightly mad Queen song and the wardrobe scene that was perfect and That's the first good. time I heard that I'm like damn that was really good <laughs> I should have written that <laughs> <laughs> but of course I did So, But, um, yeah, and it's like, that was great. Um, so, yeah, and as I say, the, the scripts are written. The entire season is now complete. Um, they're all out there for review for you guys. And um, if there's anything that stands out that needs doing, then we will, as a team, um, edit them and add to them and make it the best we can.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the and of course, it the-
2: still means that um, when we get to the actual production, there might be... Um, some ad-libs thrown in and that's fine
1: I mean yeah I mean uh, again Mark as I've I've mentioned to you before you know sort of 9 times out of 10 if if you're throwing in like an extra ad-lib I have a tendency to use it (laughs) you know within the mix Um, you know as as I've mentioned to you before I mean nobody knows your doctor better than you do so every time you do do an ad-lib it's completely fitting for that character it's the same thing from, from from my point of view as well, and I, I'm I'm kind of known for sort of wandering off scripts sometimes as well. Um, when I say I wander off scripts, what I, what I mean is that um, I add I add a lot of things that are not in the script, like extras basically, you know, and the ad-libs are just they're, they're in that sort of same vein. Yeah,
0: Paul, well, are you beginning the, the the script for the next season now? Uh, yes, Sounds I will like I be. <laughs>
2: um. <laughs> I've I've got these ideas and I've got the first episode mapped out in my head I mean it's the thing as soon as one thing finishes and we have this conversation about hey you know this is what our plans are for season 5 and you know you guys start sort of throwing things at me and I'm like oh yeah no this is exactly how I and and then again I'm watching the movie in my head and I'm seeing the doctor doing this and I'm seeing this happen and I'm seeing that happen wow it's, um, it's going to be quite a ride If it's anything like season 4 I really have no idea where we're going to end up But um, It's going to be awfully fun finding out
1: Absolutely And I think that's that's a great yep. way to sort of um, End this
2: behind the sofa um, yep.
1: You know With Paul right in the next episode <laughs>
2: yes. So yeah If you haven't listened to the first 4 episodes Get out there, listen to them now um, get, caught up. get caught up And get strapped in because the rest of the season is just going to be the wildest ride we've ever done for Doctor Who. Okay. See you later, folks. Cheers.
0: Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.